0: your number one source for all your sports betting this season everything from pro and college basketball to ufc mma and more you'll always find the latest odds team matchup info player news and game trends at BetOnline, with live betting options free contests and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events head to the website or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. All right folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast. This is episode 10 of season 5. As always, appreciate you making the California Sports Lawyer Podcast, number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. And uh, hope that uh, you look forward to uh, this week's episode, which we'll be talking about Hollywood's shift in banking viability and legislative strategy. And at the end, we'll recap some of the more current um, news going on in sports um, that uh, may be of interest to what we have going on. So... Hollywood's shift in banking viability and legislative strategy. You might be thinking what does banking and legislative strategy have to do with sports and entertainment and media? Well, uh the reality of it is it has everything to do with it as most businesses do. If uh, banks don't exist and are not viable, uh there is no money or place to hold money and um of course banking in many ways, financial institutions are um sort of what helps the world go round, at least from a monetary standpoint and getting resources out to people. And obviously the businesses are the foundation of that in terms of the businesses that make the money and the people who distribute the assets and get things out there, obviously uh, very important in that context. But uh, banking viability and uh, legislative strategy are two very important things. And On the legislative side, it's really all about the impact that legislatures and lobbyists and individuals and businesses can have on the legislative process. Right. And so if you can get laws changed or to get more beneficial or that can help people, obviously you're going to have, um, you know, some sort of uh, benefit from that and outcome from that. And that's all a part of legislative strategy and sort of nailing that down uh, a little bit more is sort of looking at the, a couple of things that have happened recently. So there were some articles in The Hollywood Reporter and also in Front Office Sports talking about the collapse or a potential pending liquidation of one bank, but the collapse of two other banks uh, that occurred back on March 8th, one that occurred on this past Friday, and one that occurred on Sunday, of all things, or of all days, I should say. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank was one that's up in uh, Santa Clara, California in the Bay Area. Silvergate Bank, which was uh, based headquarters were based in San Diego, California, and Signature Bank, which was based in New York. The Silicon Valley Bank had uh, significant entertainment deposits with the bank, uh, Roku Roku, the streaming platform, gaming platform, uh, Roblox, And then, of course, video host Vimeo uh, all had um, significant uh, deposits with um, Silicon Valley Bank. Silvergate Silvergate Bank was a bank known for its cryptocurrency deposits and its uh, cryptocurrency friendliness. And then, of course, you had uh, Signature Bank in New York, uh, which had a significant amount of deposits from Broadway. Uh, particularly the huge Broadway industry there in uh, Manhattan and really in other parts of the state, but uh, but mainly in Manhattan. So what happened? Well, um, I guess to give you some context, the Silicon Valley Bank held $110.36 billion in assets and $88.59 in total deposits. Uh, its collapse is the third largest bank failure in history. Now, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, and you might notice this uh, when you make a deposit, or you might notice it on this fine print uh, when you make a deposit, but they guarantee up to $250,000 per account uh, in terms of coverage for deposits. So if you have more than that in account, uh, obviously, um, there's going to be potential issues with regard to coverage and why sort of it makes sense to have additional insurance why well, it also makes sense to have uh, diversified banks, meaning having uh, multiple bank accounts and not just focused on one. Uh, you know, if you have the assets uh, to distribute, right? So, uh, and even maybe just having different banks in general, even if you don't have that level of assets, uh, I think might be an important call. But the one sort of common denominator with each of these three banks was cryptocurrency. All three of them. Um, were known to have accepted, uh, from a policy standpoint, cryptocurrency. And of course, with the um, run on the market and in many ways the collapse on the um, the cryptocurrency market in the past year or so, uh, coupled with the litigation going on uh, with some of these uh, well-known athletes uh, that had endorsed, uh, and entertainers that had endorsed FTX. And of course, if you look at... Um, the huge drop, you know, what was the Super Bowl um, last year between the Rams and the Bengals uh, had significant amount of cryptocurrency advertisements. And, of course, this year had none of them. And I think it was probably because, one, the market, but then, two, I think a lot of these companies, um, or I should say the NFL, was worried about uh, FTC, uh, Federal Trade, um, Trade Commission, and um, sort of the potential for litigation if they would have run uh, some of those um, potential cryptocurrency commercials. And I don't know if there was any cryptocurrency companies that were looking to um, advertise in this year's Super Bowl in 2023 uh, against the Chiefs and the Eagles. But if there was, I think the NFL would probably probably shied away from it. But um, that was one sort of common denominator I think economists and analysts might tell you that it was because um, maybe it was because of the cryptocurrency issue and some of the, the run on that. But of course, once one bank fails, others begin to get nervous. People pull out their deposits. That's probably what happened with the second bank. Sorry, I should say the third bank in terms of Signature Bank, because Silvergate Bank was the first to collapse back on March 8th, and I should clarify that because Uh, they are actually looking uh, to liquidate the bank. So it wasn't an immediate collapse. They're looking to liquidate. Um, The second bank was Silicon Valley Bank on Friday. And then of course, on Sunday, Signature Bank in New York uh, collapsed and the uh, New York state and federal authorities took over that bank. Now it is interesting. The FDIC has guaranteed not only the $250,000 for coverage for deposits, but they've also guaranteed that Each of the folks who had assets in the bank um, uh, would would be fully guaranteed. I'm kind of curious, um, and I think as many folks are as to how that's going to play out, uh, and especially when you're looking at Roku, which had, you know, 400 and I think it was 430 something million dollars in in deposits in that bank, and so again, I think. Uh, it sort of it shows the importance of uh, sort of having diversified banks, but also this issue of cryptocurrency and what's popped up. And by the way, the actual figure was $487 million for Roku in the Silicon Valley Bank. And of course, the Silicon Valley Bank was known to have uh, significant assets in there uh, from other entertainment companies. Those have not been disclosed as of yet, uh, but that's sort of the situation, right? So this is a big deal. And uh, of course, it it may lead entertainment companies and really businesses in general to revise their strategy uh, when it comes to crypto. And um, you know, I think it should be a reminder to businesses of the riskiness of the cryptocurrency strategy uh, as a non-federal Federal federal Reserve-backed currency. So again, I mean, until that area is uh, more highly regulated, or at least at least, uh, and, and I, when I say highly regulated, I don't mean you know in the point of shutting down the industry, but I mean in the sense that uh, where consumers can feel more comfortable, uh, where businesses and banks can feel more comfortable uh, in accepting those and being uh, and having some some level of guarantee um, over some you know non Federal Reserve backed currency because cryptocurrency is not a federally federally you know, it's not a Federal Reserve backed currency. So I think it's sort of an interesting point to uh, keep in mind as a potential common denominator for these banks. Now, of course, we mentioned earlier this idea of athlete entertainers endorsing uh, cryptocurrency-type businesses. Obviously, FTX, uh, which had been the um, name sponsor uh, of the arena for the Miami Heat, uh, collapsed and there's been a huge controversy and investigation into the CEO of that company uh but of course uh, some of these athletes are being sued over the you know sort of idea that they've promoted the company on their social media platforms in exchange for you know money or or exchange for cryptocurrency we'll see how that plays out i think in some ways uh the athlete entertainment entertainer thing is a little overplayed meaning that A lot of times when the athletes and the entertainers go through uh, conversations with businesses, you know, you don't know everything, right? And it's impossible to know everything. You do your best to do due diligence. A lot of times you're having agents and lawyers look at these deals and generally agents and lawyers or lawyers on both sides, at least looking at deals and looking at what makes sense. And I don't think that the athletes entertainers knew at the time when they endorsed the products that. Uh, the CEO was doing whatever it is that um, will turn out that it what is proved to that, that he has done and the allegations there and, and whatever trial takes place. Um, but then also this idea of what would happen to the cryptocurrency market. I mean, I think economists might tell you that, you know, the cryptocurrency market was risky in general, uh, but not to the point where. Uh, An athlete or entertainer would be would would sort of be found liable because they endorsed a certain product. Again, it's going to come down to uh, the issue of what they knew when they endorsed the product in any sort of um, you know sort of uh, high level of negligence, if you will. So um, again, I I think the shock to the banking market um, will surely change the strategy of entertainment, media, and sports companies. Looking to invest and in holding um, funding in multiple bank's account, multiple bank accounts, which is likely already done. I think a lot of businesses do that anyway. Uh, but again, to potentially avoid any cryptocurrency, uh, until this situation shakes out, until the market shakes out, and until there's some sort of level of control by the federal uh, government and the FDIC. So, um, and again, according to the federal government. Uh, cryptocurrency is an industry ripe for regulation. Um, and so we're, we'll sort of see uh, where that plays out. And of course, I think another aspect to this is um, the entire industry is changing in the sense that, you know, not only is it cryptocurrency, but in many ways, a lot of people will group into that this idea of the metaverse and digital currencies and digital exchanges and uh, artificial intelligence. And how all these potential technologies and blockchain uh, will play together or not play together. So it's a very interesting context of sort of uh, in situation of how this is going on. Now, of course, on the legal side of this, it is interesting because in terms of the banking closures, in California specifically, the law does provide that corporate officers and directors of companies are generally not liable for corporate debts, or responsibilities absent some level of tortious conduct, malfeasance, omission, or um, and legal terminology, piercing of the corporate veil, which basically means that if a company is sued and it is found that the person who was running that company was essentially running a shell company, if you will, just using it as a shield of liability and not as an actual working corporation, you know, so... You might see something like mixed use of funds, joint bank accounts, you know, things like that, where there was no real corporation going on or corporation being used in a in a, a tortious way or a legal way, if you will, fraudulent way. Uh, absent some behavior like that, corporate officers and directors are not liable. That's the law, um, and uh, very important to know. However, and there's been some case law on that as well, but uh, it is possible that corporate bylaws could differ from the law by expanding liability, albeit that is a very unlikely scenario, but sometimes you do have uh, corporations uh, that will you know, sort of elect to have uh, certain people or certain things uh, liable uh, because of some circumstance. Again, it's rare, but I've definitely seen it happen. And then on the other side, you've got California Labor Code section 558.1. Now, this differs from California law in that this general idea that corporate officers and directors are not liable for corporate debts or responsibilities, absent some tortious conduct. But this Labor Code 558.1 specifically calls out that uh, a director or an officer of a company can be held liable for wages of employees if the company or the individual director violated labor laws. So this is something to keep in mind as the, the, the bank situation plays out, because if there's any sort of labor law violations, uh, those employees will definitely be paid. Right. Um, and uh, there'll be some liability on the corporate officers and directors. And again, absent some tortious conduct with regard to the cryptocurrency investments or any type of uh, tortious conduct with regard to the, um, the closure of these banks and the handling of the banks, if you will, that led to the closures. Uh, we'll see. Now, of course, if you compare it to the endorsers, the athletes and the entertainers who endorsed FTX, you know, I mean, at least under that sort of theory, uh, there's potential. You know, pretend, You know, particularly if the banks knew that these were very risky investments and were unlikely to be paid back. But again, uh, that's a lot of conjecture. And we'll sort of see what the facts bear as uh, as this situation plays out. But again, I, I think that um, this is sort of interesting because uh, it's not only uncertain as how it's going to play out, uh, but I, I think in in general the cryptocurrency market um, is 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 being looked at, and and I think um, you know there is a sort of general scare. What if that spreads. And of course, I think economists might tell you that uh, it's the people being scared more than it is the actual market. But again, we'll see sort of how that all plays out. I think there's arguments to be made on both sides of that. Now, what's sort of interesting about this and sort of changing gears a little bit is this idea of Hollywood production. Because of course, anytime that you have you know, sort of banking... Uh, you're going to need those funds to go out and work production projects and and uh, to keep the sort of business rolling. Now, of course, California has often been a hotbed for uh, production. The um, state of Georgia has obviously uh, become uh, a powerhouse with regard to production and studios. Now, Texas, the state of Texas, uh, the legislature has just introduced a bill uh, that would have some tax incentives. To encourage filmmaking in the Lone Star State. So, uh, this is going to be very interesting because I think uh, Texas is obviously a great place to film, a lot of land there to film, and you've got a lot of to- uh, topography when it comes to uh, not so much mountain ranges, right? As you sort of get across, uh, you know, past the Rockies and you sort of get away from the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountains. Uh, but I think, uh, obviously, topography in terms of you know, in the western part of the state, you've got, you know, sort of open desert and open land. And as you move towards the east, you move into sort of um, hillier territory. And then, of course, um, uh, a lot of green, a lot of shrubbery, uh, trees, things like that. So, and again, as you moved, you know, further east, uh, a lot a lot more of that occurring just because of the rainfall and everything else. But my point being is, is that Texas is a great place to film. And of course, there's a lot of movies that are based in Texas or based, uh, I should say, based on some sort of Texas story, but they've not been filmed in Texas. So um, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Uh, and of course, other states may follow, right? And of course, there's the political piece, meaning that uh, there may be you know, some studios that object uh, to being in maybe a more conservative state. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, um, ultimately when it comes down to money uh, and tax incentives and having the proper place to film something, it'll probably be done. But again, it, it's sort of interesting because I think Hollywood does have an impact on politics and um, you sort of look at sort of what's happened in Georgia and some of the changing um, of politics there. But I think it's also this sort of mass um, sort of migration of people. And a lot of people have left California and they've moved to other states, uh, which I think has changed maybe some of the demographics and uh, the political sort of outlook of some states. But it's it's very interesting uh, as to uh, what new projects may be coming to Texas and other places. And of course, uh, there was a, on a recent um, interview with the, um, the head of uh, entertainment and streaming for NBC and Peacock. She was being interviewed and they were laying out the content strategy and she was talking about a lot of these streamers and studios are focusing on, you know, cutting cost and um, looking for ways to just increase uh, subscribers on their streaming platforms. She sort of took a different approach and she said, um, no, we're going to be looking at focusing more on development and building a library of series and films content as opposed to solely being focused on subscriber numbers. Now, of course, NBC and Peacock is in an interesting position because they were late to the streaming party in the sense that other streamers had been in existence for a period of time, whether that be Netflix or Disney or HBO Max, Uh, and they don't have as many subscribers. But I think NBC and Peacock have a a good point in that they are ultimately looking to build out a library of content, which is clearly – uh, the number one goal of a lot of these platforms, because the level of production sometimes can't keep up, uh, and that's and that's a that's a constant ongoing issue. So if you have a library of content, it keeps keeps people on the platform, and we've talked about that on this show before. So uh, again, I think the strategy being that hey, we're going to increase you know production, and if we can do it in other states uh, where we get higher tax incentives, why not? So, And, of course, from a competitive standpoint, this makes sense because states are going to want to compete with each other, and, and they're going to want to bring business into their states. So we'll sort of see how that goes. And this is all coupled with the fact that um, as these production opportunities increase for Hollywood and other states, uh, Major League Baseball is also looking to take over uh, these regional sports networks that are likely to declare bankruptcy here uh, fairly soon at least uh i think many many folks in the industry are seeing that these regional sports networks whether it be diamond or um uh, some of the sinclair networks will will likely collapse as uh as the model of cable television uh continues to shrink uh and as they look to the future not being able to make certain payments to teams so if baseball takes over that that's uh, some huge hollywood potential there um And uh, we'll sort of see how that plays out. And sort of the last thing I want to kind of take a look at, uh, you know, speaking in terms of taking bets, um, I thought it was interesting, a couple notes that I read recently. One was this idea that uh, the March Madness men's NCAA basketball tournament is obviously here, right? It's it's starting this week. And sports betting is set to reach an all-time high. Now, this makes sense because of the Murphy decision, uh, in terms of um, outlawing a prohibition against uh, sports betting, and now with at least half the states and in the union uh, implementing some sort of structure for sports betting, and more uh, still on the way, um, you know, you're having an increase in sports betting. I mean, it just makes sense. It's more available. I think with the internet and artificial intelligence. I read the other day that artificial there's an artificial intelligence platform that is looking to help people to make bets. And to do some of the analytics for them. Um, by the way, a lot of these things are somewhat interesting because I think artificial intelligence can be good in so far as that it helps people. But I think one of the problems is, is that with our reliance, continued reliance on um, you know, the internet or reliance on artificial intelligence, um, I think it, it just begs the question of sort of where is human ingenuity going? Uh, is it better with artificial intelligence and the sort of help of the internet and less memorization, or is it worse? I think it's sort of a question for folks to consider going forward and what we become reliant on. But again, for another day, another story, another time. But uh, I, I sort of thought it was interesting because the these increase in betting, um, it's said that almost one quarter of American adults will place a bet on the tournament. So 68 million people will be posting a bet for the March Madness tournament. And I always thought it was interesting that uh, the XFL hosted a game. Uh, This is the third iteration of the XFL. And of course, in the past, we had the Alliance of American Football, which closed down, was doing fairly popular, but then closed down because of the pandemic in 2020. And there were some other, uh, I think, bankruptcy issues that occurred there. Um, And then, of course... Uh, there was, um, the Alliance American football, and then, uh, we've had the USFL, which is now back in its second iteration. You had the XFL, which of course, this is the third time that it's been around. And the second time that it was, uh, taken off the market was this idea of, was really because of COVID, uh, and they were not able to play their games. And of course they didn't have the financial backing the NFL had. So they really weren't able to push forward. But uh, they held a game in St. Louis. Of course, as you all know, the, the uh, St. Louis Rams left back to Los Angeles to become the L.A. Rams from which they originally came. And I think their first year they were actually in um, Orange County, but um, eventually went up to L.A. Uh, after that first year or so. Now, this is nothing but conjecture here, but uh, I think expansion, can, you know, based on how popular uh, the game was and a very well-attended game, over 30,000 people attended the game. For a spring football game uh, for the St. Louis uh, franchise. You know, I think the NFL might be watching this and going, hey, we've got a potential for another franchise here. Is that, you know, is there an expansion opportunity, what have you? Um, uh, The Rams are not leaving LA anytime soon uh, with their ownership group and the brand new uh, multi billion dollar stadium they just built. But I think expansion might be an opportunity. And I think if the NFL uh, was intelligent, which they are, I think they'd be looking at this and saying, uh, hey, this might be an opportunity to, to watch these games, to see what the fan base is like, and uh, and also for talent. I mean, frankly, if you've got players in the XFL that can play in the NFL, you know why wouldn't you um, take up those prospects or uh, those players? But anyways, folks, uh, that's been this week's uh, pod- podcast uh, talking about Hollywood shift in banking viability and legislative strategy. Talking about the closure of a few different entertainment banks, um, entertainment real estate business banks, um, uh, I should say to be um, you know more uh, more broad, um, or to be uh, uh, broad about it, and then of course looking at uh, some of the changes in legislative strategy when it comes to production in other states outside of California uh, through tax incentive programs, and this is basically what the government gives a break to taxes for somebody doing business somewhere. Uh, So again, folks, appreciate listening in. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate you making this number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. This has been episode 10. And um, look forward to being back with you next week. Uh, This podcast has been brought to you by Bet Online. So thanks again, folks, and look forward to being with you very soon.